This is the Heath in Pursuit podcast with Heath Hollinsby. Each week we'll have a conversation with various folks who are actively engaged in the pursuit of truth. This is a show where anything can be discussed and probably will. A podcast for the seekers, the dreamers, the restless, the hurt and the broken. This is a podcast for you. Welcome to Heath in Pursuit. Thank you for riding along this wonderful wave of podcast excellence, or lack thereof. I have to admit that uh, it has been a minute since I've done one of these. It's been over three months, and I remember at the end of last year saying, I really, really, really want to make it a priority to get on this and uh, and be more consistent with podcasting. And I just, man, it has been a rough start to a year, and I have not been well. Um started off with a vasectomy in January, followed by getting COVID the following day. And so that was about a week of just, you know, the last thing you want when you have something so, uh, what's a word? Something so intimately surgically done to you is to get a brutal cough and sneeze and nose blowing for a week. That was not fun. And the healing is still taking its toll. So that's how my 2022 has started. And, uh, yeah, I just got to say like things it's, it's felt exhausting. This year has felt heavy. And, um, at times it just seems like things have been really uncertain, which they always have, but there's just something. And I don't know if it's like the prolonged sense of uncertainty or it just kind of is a season of mind that I'm in right now, but yeah, I've not been doing the best. Not been doing the best. Um, so yeah, COVID. Not just me getting it, but the world getting it. That sucks. That's been a long, long, hard ordeal for us for the for the past few years. And then there's all this new stuff happening. I'm going to tell you a couple stories, and I don't really have much to talk about other than I just I've just been I've had a few uh, things happen recently that I want to share and kind of tell you what's on my mind, and maybe it'll be helpful to you, and maybe it won't be, and maybe it'll just be something for me to get off my chest, which is usually when I'm podcasting, me just sharing something that's on my mind anyway, and hoping it turns into something that benefits people, and if not, usually it's just kind of like, it's like a weird sense of counseling where you can't talk back, and you have nobody giving you feedback, and for someone like me who's a massive verbal processor, yeah, that's dangerous, but we're going to have some fun. So yeah, not too much planned here other than talking about where I've been the last couple months. Um, okay. So, uh, so I had COVID and the world has been having COVID for years and that's, that just is exhausting. Not looking at people, having people, uh, you're not seeing their smile. You don't know what they're thinking. You have people that are walking through grocery stores and through malls defiantly proving that they don't need to wear a mask. And then you have others that are actually trying to take things seriously, maybe to the fault of being over-concerned. Over but um, yeah, I think that's done something to our psyches. I think when you're walking down the road and people move to the other side of the street because they don't want to catch something from you, and they're trying to be cautious. But But that communicates something too, right? That we're just kind of this dirty, vile germ-carrying creature that, man, that's hard. 
And then and then uh, old Vladimir Putin decides that the world's not that difficult yet. It's not it's not hat it's not hit hard enough. So let's go to war with Ukraine, which has been just if you're like me, just seeing the news like God, this is the heartbreaking and devastating and yeah, I think heartbreaking is a word to use. Like yeah, just awful. And story after story and day after day just feels like it keeps getting worse. And then there's this whole sense of everything else that's going on. You've got food shortages. You've got crippling inflation taking some people to task. I know myself and my family and many other like middle-class families, it's just, it's just getting harder and harder and harder. You've got talks of possible nuclear threats. You've got gas prices soaring. You've got police unable to do what they used to do. You have police that are unable to effectively stop crimes um, because there's some new laws written. And uh, I'm not going to get into the whole defund or, you know, that's not the purpose of the show. But I will say, I was talking to uh, one of our police officers the other day who was just saying like, yeah, even if even if somebody stole your car or is in your house burglarizing, we can't do anything. We've Essentially, we can try to follow them and see if they pull over. And if so, we can talk to them. But we can't do anything. And uh, even if that involves, uh, depending on where you're listening from, in the state of Washington, I mean, there's some things with even like hurting kids. Like you can't, you can't pursue them. It's profiling. And so these cops, I, I mean, I'll tell you a couple stories. Um, yeah, so I don't know, October, November of last year, I was walking in downtown Tacoma, got attacked by a homeless guy. Um, and, you know, no mask, no nothing. I just, you know, I don't know what he's got. And, and uh, so he starts beating up really hard on me. And I call 911 and a cop's driving by. And I even say on the call, like, guys, it's right here. Like, there's a cop. Can you help me? And uh, and he keeps driving. And then this guy pursues me for three blocks. And so then I end up talking with the city. And they're like, yeah, essentially they don't want help. And so there's nothing you can do. There's nothing we can do to help them if they don't want it. And just feeling like, yeah, is that the new world that we're living in? Is that the world that our kids are being raised in? Our kids finding syringes around the city and, yeah, it's heavy. Like, and I'm not, I'm not even giving opinions on what I think about this stuff right now, other than this is just a heavy time to be alive. And, uh, and then there was something that happened on vacation with me and the family a couple weeks ago in San Diego. And, um, and so it was Super Bowl Sunday me and my wife were getting ready to go to, you know, like a little bit of a date night with, uh, with having the, you know, her, her sister and brother-in-law watch the kids and we're driving to go see him and we get T-boned really hard at probably 60 miles an hour. Um, I'm driving my 10 year old son Rowan is right behind me. Uh, and then Easton's in the middle and then London's on the other side of the car and Kathleen's in the passenger seat. But we get plowed. The guy didn't even stop. There's no skid marks. He slammed straight into us. Hit us so hard that his license plate went on the other side of our car. Blew out the windows. Uh, you know, we got whiplash. Cars are totaled. And um, the guy runs. He flees the scene. Leaves a car. And uh, 
So they're getting ready to do their, they have a a towing agency come out and take his car away. And they find syringes in his center console and that he was cooking meth in the back. I knew he was on something when he hit us because he was flying and he wasn't able to put a word together. And so he said he was going to call the cops and he got out of the car. And I said, cool, we're already on the phone call with 911. Uh, He didn't call the cops. He called his friend to come pick him up and they sped off and then... The cops came, California Highway Patrol. They were absolutely awful, 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 awful to us and the whole situation. And then we got the police report. And um, all those details were left out of it. And so now we're fighting with California Highway Patrol to figure out what to do about this. So we had a guy on meth um, with a hit and run with injuries, and he fled the scene. And police put that on me to bear the burden of the financial burdens of that, saying that I was at fault, even though all the witnesses and it's just a terrible situation. So why am I saying all this? And I think, well, that situation alone brought some big distrust to me in the sense that uh, I felt like the only way to do things anymore is to take things in your own hands, is to call and to scream And it's so opposite from the way that I want to be and so opposite from the way that I think Jesus calls us to be. Um, Blessed are the peacemakers. Remember the Beatitudes sort of stuff? Like, that's where I'm trying to go. Yet it feels like the world that I'm living in is getting harder and harder and harder to do that. And the only way to get ahead is to start screaming and making noise. And that's exhausting to me. Um, And so... That's all been happening in the last couple of months, and I thought we should do a podcast. And I was thinking about calling this one, It's Time to Build an Ark, because I have some thoughts on the old uh, Genesis, you know, back in the the first book of the Bible, there's a book called Genesis, and uh, I was talking to a friend, William Turbifield, I mean, a couple of years ago, and he just, he kind of unpacked this concept of the Ark in a different situation, like in a different lens that I've ever seen it. And so I thought, well... More and more, I think he's right. And uh, and so we're going to talk about it from Genesis, right? Um, and I, I just want to say, for those who listen to the show that have a pretty strict uh, Christian upbringing or background or still hold to a lot of those tenets of the faith, this is, I'm going to do a high-flying view of Genesis. I'm not going to get in and do like some sort of Bible study because I don't think that's helpful right now because that's not the point of what I'm trying to do. I think there's object lessons throughout this, whether or not you want to view this as literal or not. And I think, I mean, many think that this is, it's debatable. Is this a literal flood? Well, eh. I used to believe that. Um, But let's go ahead and try to find some beauty in here somewhere, right? So we're going back to Genesis. This all happens between chapters five and seven. And I'm going to read it to you. And I'm just going to see if there's anything there that we can mine out of this and... um, and I'll share a couple of thoughts and then I'll be done wasting your time and then put one of these out again, hopefully sooner than three months from now. Okay, so the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I mean, right there, that's a lot of like pretty extreme language, right? The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. 
The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on this earth. Well, his fault. And his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So in this story, you have a creator who created a beautiful, I mean, four chapters earlier, uh, was saying that everything he made was good. And then just a few minutes later, he's saying, there's nothing good here. All these people ever do is do wicked, pure evil all the time. And I cannot believe that just a couple months ago, I created this whole thing, or years ago, or, you know, that I, I, I tried to make this thing well, and my own creation is sabotaging this. And they're so evil that I wish them all dead, and I'm going to wipe them from the face of this earth. Um, yeah, it's, that's dark. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Who knows? This guy ends up eventually, like, kind of getting drunk and nude in his tent, and his kids have to cover him up. Like, he kind of goes off the deep end. But whatever the story is saying is that at this time, God was really pissed off at everything he made and really regretting it. And he found one person left that he was okay with, and he thought, eh, I can work with this. I don't want to exterminate it all. Um, then we're going to jump down a couple of verses. Uh, this is the account of Noah and his family. Okay, so Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. I mean, this sounds like the stories I'm telling you. Like, this just feels like right here, right now. And I don't think this is like a narrative to look at like, oh no, that's everyone else. Like, no, there's some wickedness in my own heart and I'll admit to that. But it does feel like, yeah, there's a lot of violence. This place is corrupt and God's kind of recognizing it. So God pulled Noah aside and he said, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is full of violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So you want to save yourself? Make yourself an ark. And then he gets really specific of what type of wood and how many rooms and how to build it and how long it should be and how wide it should be and how high it should be and what the roof should be like uh, and what's underneath the roof. Uh, And then he says, put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. So, I mean, God's pretty picky on how he wants this boat to be built to save Noah. And it could just be like, he's like, look, I'm going to level 10 this thing. Like, this isn't just going to be a nice little storm. Like, I'm going to go level 10. So make sure you build this thing ready to survive. Like, Let's not harbor freight this thing. Let's let's make something that's going to last here. And so uh, the Lord, God, says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. Um, yeah, so there's questions there, right? Like everything, every creature that has breath, what about on the fish? I mean, it seems like they just got like, extra space to swim around with this flood coming or any kind of sea animals, but well, we'll save that for another day. So God, so God's telling Noah, Hey, here's how you build the ark to survive what I'm about to do. Cause I'm really upset with what I made and I want everyone dead, but I'll save you. So build this thing to last. And then, um, I'm going to make it a covenant with you. 
and you're going to enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. So it's like a family affair. You guys get on the ark and bring two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive for you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You're to take every kind of food that's to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Then all the animals got in the boat and were safe. Now, there's theories here as far as how long this took. This wasn't like a, hey, next weekend this thing's going to happen, right? Back in this day, according to the story, these people lived a really long time. And the amount of the time span between, like, God telling Noah to start building a boat and the floods coming was somewhere between, like, 50 and 120 years. And part of it was, like, Noah's building really slow so that people had a chance to kind of see what he's doing and and hopefully repent and turn from their ways and join the good side, even though that wasn't an option. It was like, no, that we're not saving them, Noah. You and your family get saved and everyone else dies, regardless of if they repent or turn their ways, right? Um, so there was a long period of time here. And I don't know how the animals came or did he scoop them up or did he send the kids out like wild adventures to trap them all? Did they miss an animal? How many animals were like, oh no, I forgot about that bird. Oh, we lost him, right? Whatever. Anyway, Noah was faithful. Noah did what God commanded him. Then all the animals got into the boat and they were safe. And then we're going to jump to Genesis 7 that says, then the Lord shut him in, which means the Lord closed the door to this boat. And then for 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth and the waters increased. They lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly under the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. I would hope so. It was God's uh, design. They rose greatly on the earth, all the high mountains under them and under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose, covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swam, swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and creatures that move along the ground, the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Okay. Dark, right? This is a dark story. This, you know, I, I, the, the children's Bible, it's like, you know, a beautiful rainbow and it's a sunny day and... The animals are just happily lined up to get under the boat. And, you know, it's it's this beautiful image of peace and happiness. But reading it through the lens of this text is like, no, this is like a horror movie. And what about the people slamming on the side of the boat or trying to climb in and, you know, like January 6th kind of get into the, uh, you know, overthrow the uh, the captain of this boat and try to sneak into one of the floors and... I would assume if we're reading this kind of in a literal sense that this was a really dark and disgusting event and really, really, really terrible. Um, and floods like this like didn't happen. And so people that were watching him build a boat in the middle of this region were like, dude, I mean, it'd be like somebody in the middle of Kansas building a giant ark and going, yeah, it's about to get crazy here. We're going to have an ocean here in a few minutes. And uh, people going like, all right, man. We're going to Olive Garden and we're going to have some, you know, breadsticks and some soup. And I'm not stressing out about this because that never happens here. Well, he was mocked and teased in the story. And whether or not that was literal, there were some pretty amazing things to pull from it. One of the first things that I want to think about is like, when you feel called to something, ignore the haters and ignore the critics. When you have a direction that you are going, that you feel 
is your purpose and it's your destiny and it's the reason maybe that you were created, then don't give up. It's like, don't, don't throw it away. Don't let a couple people that don't understand what you're doing throw you off course. Hunker down and build that flippin' ark. Build that thing that you're trying to build. Build that thing that you, you believe drives your soul's purpose for waking up every morning. And ignore those who care otherwise or who, who have nothing else to do than to walk by and critique you for kind of being outside of the boat. Outside of the box. <laughs> the pun there is strong. Um, but the, the thing that, that really made me think I should do a little podcast on this was talking about like, I just, I wonder if the way that this world is going, this isn't like a doomsdayer talk or like a prepper sort of talk, but, but just how do you be smart? Maybe the purpose of this is to tell us that in our lives, things are going to get a little crazy and they're going to be uncertain and there's going to be death and there's going to be loss and there's going to be really difficult times. So why don't you spend your days building trust and equity with the people that you want on your ark when those times come? Why don't you be a friend that keeps their word and has integrity and is honest? Somebody that other friends of yours would invite onto their ark when the times get tough. Because when the times come and things are dark and they're evil and they're grim, who is going to be in your ark? Who are you saving? Who are the people that you go, everyone else can die, but with this group of people or this person or this tribe, we're going to get through it. And maybe you're the type of person that has just kind of been self-centered and focused on yourself and you haven't gone out to try to make those friendships. You haven't gone out to try to make those relationships happen. And the tide comes and the waves start rolling in and you find out that you don't have any friends with arcs. Or maybe you do, but you've been so terrible to these people that you're not going to get a space on that boat. So maybe, maybe, maybe we start thinking about our life in an ark or in a boat setting. And when the times come, we better make sure that we've made friends with those people. That when those floodwaters like rescind and things get back to normal, that we've been able to weather the storm with them. And that doesn't just come from a really passive friendship. That comes from deep trust, deep integrity, a deep knowing of one another. Yeah, that's about what I was going to say today. It's figure out who's going to be on your arc, because the times are coming when the upside, when the things that seem like they should be straight are upside down, when what used to be left is right, when what used to be certain is uncertain. And, uh, and it's important to start prepping on that and, and figuring out who you're going to have in this tribe, who you're going to have in your boat. Um, and I think some of that, in just kind of a practical life lesson, I'm going to share a little thing that, uh, I don't know, just it's been on my mind. Something I found to be really helpful recently is that maybe our networks are too big. Maybe we have too much information and it's hurting us. Maybe we've set some boundaries with people in our lives, but we haven't set boundaries over the level of information that we can actually assume or consume. So 
I know a lot of friends that have boundaries, you know, and I'm really impressed that so many of these people can draw such solid lines in the sand because I want to, and I just haven't figured out how to do that yet. But, um, a lot of these people have boundaries in their personal lives, but they have no boundaries when it comes to the data that they're processing, the information they're collecting with the level of weak relationships they have with hundreds of friends on social media, but they're not really going deep with anybody. And I noticed that that was me a couple of years ago. And so I just kept, I, I put a few things into place and uh, made this something to consider. So I'm going to talk social media specifically because that's such a huge thing around us right now. That's where most of, even when I'm looking through the things that I, I talked about at the beginning, like the food shortages or inflation, Russia, Ukraine, nuclear threats, gas prices, all that's COVID. I mean, all that stuff, most of my information came from like Twitter and that sort of stuff. Um, so I have a couple boundaries when it comes to my social media because I've, I've found this to be helpful and it took a little bit of playing with. One of them is that um, I might follow people on social media, but I don't actually uh, have their stories on any of my timelines. When you go to my Twitter, it, like if you were me and you opened up my phone and you went to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, any of those guys, there's nothing there. There's no feed. I don't see anyone's photos. I don't see their stories. I don't see anything other than uh, if I get a notification that somebody responded to something I put out there. Like if people want to engage with what I'm throwing out there, I would love to engage that, but I don't need to see like my, uh, you know, first grade teacher's, you know, new cat's necklace. What a waste of a heartbeat. And so, you know, when I follow people, I usually mute them um, because... I don't like having that much access to stuff. And I found that to be a really helpful practice, and maybe that'll be something that's helpful to you as well. Um, The other thing I was going to say is our, our capacity to handle what we're experiencing is too much. And I would fight this. Like People are like, meh, I don't know, man. Maybe you're going to you know, maybe you're kind of over, overthinking this. And I would, I would disagree. So I think we, I think we have access to too much information and our, and our ability to carry that information and our ability to empathize and to sympathize is actually getting worn out. It's like adrenal fatigue for empathy and sympathy. So if I was sitting at a restaurant with you and we had a table and we're having lunch and we hear a baby right next to us, the table next to us, start screaming. We would probably look over and we notice like, oh, there's no parent there. Well, being kind humans, like within that radius, of course we would figure out how to, how to care for that baby. It's a human thing to do. It's, I mean, it's primitive, it's tribal, the way that we care for one another is in our circle like that. Now let's just say that across the room in a big restaurant, baby's going uncontrollably crying and after a few minutes we notice like nobody's taking care of that we thought somebody in that sector might have been like somebody locally to them probably had better access to care for him but if no one's doing that then of course we're going to jump in and do something now let's just say that 12 miles away there's a baby crying we we don't really have the capacity to care for that circle that much. Does that mean we're not sympathetic or empathetic? No, but it means that we hope that somebody in that location can care for that child better than us. 
And what social media has done is it's let us hear the cry of everyone everywhere. An injustice done here, an injustice in Atlanta or Tallahassee or Austin or Portland or San Diego or Des Moines, Iowa or Omaha, Nebraska, or even more globally, Toronto, Montreal, Mexico, Ecuador, Peru, Cameroon, everywhere, we're able to hear these cries. And I just think that it's not good for us. Does that mean shut it out and ignore it? No. Do I have an answer? No. But I think that's part of why I'm feeling so exhausted is because I'm feeling like I have to be the savior to this world and carry the weight of this. And I have friends that I follow on social media that seem to be so passionate about every single cause. And I'm like, God, that just exhausts me. That mean I'm not a caring or sympathetic person? No. Does that mean you're not a caring or sympathetic person? No, not at all. It just means that we are only human. We are not the savior of the world. We can't have everybody on our ark. And is it, you know, like, I feel like the more I'm saying, the more I'm going to get myself in trouble, which is not my hope. I'm just processing some of the stuff that's been on my mind lately, and maybe it relates to you. So, um, so I'll leave it there, but I'll just say, yeah, I think we're hearing too much. I think we know too much. I th- I'm just, I'm wondering if that is just killing us and keeping us in, in this hopelessness. So I would ask you these questions as we end, you know, who are you inviting on your ark? How are you choosing these people? How are you being a person of integrity and compassion and kindness and skill so that other people might invite you onto their ark? Yeah, how are you being formed into a person that would invite you onto their ark? Because when the waters come and they're going to, who are the people that you will weather the storm with? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Heath in Pursuit podcast. We look forward to being back with you next week. For more information on the various works of Heath Hollandsby, please visit heathinpursuit.com.